Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Tim Guest. I'm um, an elder here at Morden Road, and I'm uh, one of the leaders of, of our church plants in Cowley as well. Um, so this morning, Dan's away, so they're kind of scraping the barrel, looking for people to come up here, and you're stuck with me, I'm afraid. Uh, but we're continuing our series in, in Philippians, and before we dive into that, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks to his people. And we pray that as we are gathered here now, with your word open, that you would speak to us. We pray by your spirit you would bring these truths, these words alive to us. We pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus, that you would inspire us and challenge us to live, live the life that he calls us to live. So, Father, please hear us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a question for you. I want to do a straw poll to start off with. Um, put your hand in the air if you're a Facebook user, if you're, if, if you're on Facebook, let's have a look. That's pretty good, that's pretty good. Right, if you'd just like to... No. <laughs> um, earlier this summer, Facebook said that it now has 1.49 billion users around the world. Um, that's people who use it at least once a month. 1.49 billion, that's a mind-bogglingly big number. So there's over 30 million users in the UK. Um, for every five minutes spent online on a smartphone, one of those minutes is spent on Facebook, which is huge, isn't it? Uh, and there's some great things about Facebook. Families that are in different parts of the world can keep in touch with each other. Um, it reflects the kind of creativity and collaboration and those kinds of things, which are great and good things. And for the church, missionaries can keep in touch with their sending churches and their supporters. They can do real-time prayer requests and, and that kind of stuff. The gospel can reach out into parts of the world that are closed to Christianity through things like Facebook, which, again, is great. But for all the good stuff, there's not so good stuff too about it. A guy called Tim Challies in his book, The Next Story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion, says this, a technology wears its benefits on its sleeves, but the drawbacks are buried deep within. So in other words, it's often easy to see the plus points of technologies like, like Facebook, but sometimes we need to work a bit harder to, to see the dangers that are lurking under the surface. And the question that we as Christians need to be asking ourselves is, what influence is Facebook having on our culture? How is Facebook impacting on things like friendship, community? What are the values that, that lie at the heart of Facebook? And are they good values? Are they subtly reshaping 
our previously held values and convictions. Well, today's passage gets right at the heart of of what it looks like to live the Christian life that Jesus calls us to live. And more than that, I think it gets right at the heart of the values that are at the center of true Christian community. So I want us to compare the kind of Facebook culture world with the world that Paul um, holds up before us here. So what's not to like about Facebook? Well, I guess you could say that the seemingly endless invitations to build a virtual zoo or to crush candy or those of you who know Facebook will be well aware of those things. Everybody else, I'm sorry, you just have to bear with me for a bit. But um, or, or what about those people that take 46 photos of what they had for dinner? And it, is it just me or is that a little bit weird? I guess pre-Facebook, if you wanted to do that, you'd have to go and take photos, go print them out, knock on people's doors and say, look what I had for dinner. <laughs> it, it, it'd be weird then. I think it's no less weird now, but maybe I'm just being grumpy. So that kind of stuff puts me off Facebook. But at heart, my issue with Facebook is that it amplifies and encourages behavior and thinking that is all too natural for my sinful heart. It amplifies and encourages behavior and thinking that actually is contrary to to the gospel. Maybe you're sat here thinking, well, hang on a minute, that's a little bit stark, isn't it? Um, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. You can judge for yourself later. But I think at its simplest, basest level, Facebook is all about you. It's all about self-promotion. You put up posts and videos and uh, photos in order to get approval and likes from other people. You deliberately recreate an identity of yourself that you want other people to like. You're in total control of what you put up. You're in total control of what you like or don't like. Even photos other people put up of you, you can detag yourself from and report and remove them. As human beings, we love being in control, let's face it. We crave approval. And Facebook lets us indulge those things like nothing else. The Facebook world is about self-promotion. The gospel is about Jesus' promotion. Facebook grows our ego. The gospel grows our humility. In our passage today, Paul holds up two shining examples of Christians who live out the example of Jesus that he's already spoken of in the beginning of this chapter. In those verses at the start of chapter 2, we see vivid, poetic language that describes Jesus' selfless concern for others and his costly, sacrificial love. And in this final bit of chapter 2, Paul is holding up the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus and he's saying, look at these guys. These guys are truly 
following Jesus' example. This is what it looks like to do that. Be like these guys. So I want us to see that Jesus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, their priorities are radically different to those of the world around. Completely different, polar opposite to the self-promoting, approval-craving world of Facebook. So these are the two points that, that we'll, we'll be, be thinking of, that Paul's holding up for us selfless concern and a costly sacrificial love. So we'll start off with, uh, with Timothy. Have a look down at verses 19 to 24 with me. So the situation is that Paul's in prison as he writes this, this great letter. And he longs to be able to visit the, the Philippian church here. Um, and he's confident, verse 24, that he will be able to come to them soon. They'd sent him Epaphroditus to come and look after him and, and care for him whilst he's in prison. And now uh, Paul is, is sending Timothy to them, um, to minister to them whilst, whilst he's there. And in verses 19 to 24, we get this extraordinary description of Timothy from Paul. Really glowing terms that he uses as, as, he, as he commends Timothy to them. He picks out three things in particular about him. He picks out his genuine concern, verse 20. His devotion to Jesus, verse 21. And his, him, him just being a servant of the gospel, verse 22. What a guy. Verse 20, look at verse 20. He says he has no one else like him. That's quite a statement. <laughs> and it's clear that Timothy is very close to Paul, very dear to him, as a son with his father, he says in verse 22. Now we know that, uh, that Timothy has uh, had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And we get introduced to him in Acts 16, verse 1. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. It's clear Timothy has the kind of proven character that shines out. And it's no surprise that Paul decides, Timothy's a guy I need to get involved in, in, my, in, in my ministry. And so he takes him along on his second missionary journey. But here, look at this, this passage. What's the first thing that Paul brings out about Timothy? What's it that marks Timothy out in, in Paul's mind? Verse 20, his genuine concern for your welfare. That word, genuine, has the idea of legitimacy or birthright even. That, that kind of imagery is in, in there as well. Um, he's, he's legit. Paul is commending him to these Philippians. He's not met the Philippians before. Paul's saying he's the real deal. And the word concern that he used is a really strong word as well. It's actually the word Jesus uses when he says to Martha that, that she's concerned about a great many things and she needed to follow the example of, of Mary. 
which is interesting. It's used by Paul himself in um, 2 Corinthians 11 when he's describing the, the weight of the burden he feels, the concern he feels for all the churches. Timothy is marked by that genuine concern for the welfare of others. That's what marks him out in, in Paul's mind. There's nothing forced or artificial about his concern. It's genuine. It's legitimate. And more than that, notice the connection there is in verse 20 and 21. For Paul, Timothy's genuine concern for others is directly related to his devotion to Christ. So for Paul... Timothy's devotion to Christ works its way out in practice through his, his selfless, genuine concern. In Paul's mind, you can't separate the two. And we'll come back to that, so hold that thought in your head, in the part of your head where you hold on to thoughts, and we'll come back to it. The third thing to notice that, that about what Paul draws out about Timothy is his service of the gospel. And I've mentioned already that, um, that Timothy had a Jewish mum and a Greek dad. And in chapter 16 of Acts, we get an, ex an outstanding example of his selfless concern, his devotion to Christ, and his service of the gospel all wrapped up into one. In verse 3 of chapter 16 of Acts, um, Paul takes Timothy with him on a missionary journey into a predominantly Jewish area where Timothy would have grown up, where it was known that, that his father was Greek. So to remove any potential barriers to people hearing the gospel from him, Timothy agrees to be circumcised. It doesn't get much more selfless than that. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Um, and it's inspiring. And that's why Paul's writing it. We're, we're meant to, to look and be inspired by the example. Here's a guy who is truly shining like a star in a crooked generation. Here's a guy living a completely countercultural life, following the example of his Savior, flowing from his devotion to his Savior. Imagine a church community filled with people like that. What a place that would be. That whole community would shine, wouldn't it, to the world around. It's a very different kind of place to a self-obsessed, control-grabbing, attention-craving community. So that's Timothy, selfless concern. Let's move on to Epaphroditus and costly love, costly sacrificial love. So Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippians to look after Paul whilst he was in prison. And unfortunately, it seems he'd got very gravely ill uh, whilst he was there and hadn't been much help to Paul. 
in the way that, that they would have liked. But he's, he's recovered, and Paul is, is overjoyed about that. And as much as Paul would have loved to have him stick around and, and help him and just uh, minister to him in prison, verse 25, for the Philippians' sake, here's Paul putting their needs above his own, notice, he sends him back to them. And I guess it could be slightly awkward. Paul Paphrodite has been sent to be a help to Paul and turns out not really to be much help. Um, but Paul, again, is overflowing with praise for this guy. He's gushing as he describes him. He calls him brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, there's real warmth, again, from Paul as he talks about Epaphroditus and real sense of partnership with him at the same time. Like Timothy, we see his selfless concern. Verse 26, Epaphroditus is distressed that they're distressed about him. But look at uh, verse 29 and 30. This is what Paul's especially commending him for. So he says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. It's pretty inspiring again, isn't it? Um, here's a guy, because of his devotion to Christ and the cause of the gospel, gladly offers his time, his gifts, his money, his health, even. Everything. He risks his whole life for the cause of the gospel. It's another striking example of a man following the example of his saviour. Another man shining like a star in a crooked and depraved world. Again, it's very different to the kind of Facebook world where it's all about me. where things like sacrifice, costly love, totally alien in that world. But again, imagine a home group, a church, community, filled with people going out of their way to demonstrate this kind of costly, selfless love to one another. What a place that would be. Think how a marriage could be transformed with two people demonstrating this kind of selfless, costly, sacrificial love to one another. Or a relationship with a, a, a child and a, or a parent or a sister or a, a boss, an employee, whatever. Think how those relationships can be transformed by this kind of love, concern and costly, sacrificial love. So are we going to buy into the kind of Facebook world or choose this radically different gospel alternative? Here's a challenging question for you. Let me just flag it up before I say it to you. When was the last time you loved someone else in a costly, sacrificial way? out of devotion to Christ.
When was the last time you loved someone else in a costly, sacrificial way? We serve the same Lord as these guys. The same Spirit works in us. Their examples are inspiring and challenging at the same time, aren't they? What would it look like for us to gladly offer up our rights, our gifts, our time, to risk our life for the cause of the gospel and for Jesus? Well, they are hugely challenging questions. And I, I hesitate to ask them, to be honest, because I don't want to stand up here and guilt trip you into legalistic, begrudging service. For some of us here, maybe we do need to kick up the backside about these things. Maybe some of us have bought into that Facebook um, style, self-focused, community on my terms, consumer attitude to church, whether we're aware of it or not. Maybe we come here asking not how can I serve, but what's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? If that's us, well, I hope this does give us a kick up the backside. But others of us in this room deserve the, the, the honor that Paul talks about here. One of the blessings of serving as, as an elder in, in this church is that you get to see what goes on in the background, behind the scenes in, in a church family. And there are people in this room who are extraordinary examples of selfless concern and of sacrificial love. And they would absolutely hate it if I were to single them out. Um, so I won't be too specific. Um, but there are people here who have shown this kind of love, not just once or twice, but consistently. Week after week, month after month, year after year, even. There are people here who have gladly given up weekends and evenings every week for years at a time to provide the consistent care and love for others who needed that regular space and rhythm. Not just for a couple of weeks, but for years. There are people here who've served on a rota of people willing to come out and, and help a particular member of the church who suffered from really debilitating migraines. People were willing to give up an evening every week to go if they were needed and help. Not just for the odd week, but week after week, month after month, year after year. There are people here who put out the chairs and put back the chairs every week, whether they're on a hosting set-up rotor or not. There are people here who give lifts to other people to, so they can come here every week, week after week after week. They're examples of 
Christians following the example of their Savior, shining like stars in a way that is noticed by friends, by family, by, by colleagues, by the world around. And there's plenty more besides that I could talk about, but I don't want to give you all big heads, so I'll stop there. Well, maybe you're sat here thinking, That's, I, you're right, I, I should be doing more than I could, but I, I don't know where to start. What, what should I be doing? What could I be doing? What are some opportunities? Well, one very practical thing at the moment, um, our, our TOFS group, um, most of you will probably know of, of, of the TOFS group, and I think it's, it's fair to say that recent months have been particularly difficult for some of our dear brothers and sisters um, who've served this church faithfully for decades. And it's been tough um, for, for the TOFs. And recently, um, we set up a, an email distribution list made up of people who are happy and willing um, to help with, with practical tasks um, from time to time as they come up, maybe meals or visits or simple DIY stuff, um, whatever. So as the need comes up, an email goes out to everyone on the list and um, first one to say they can do it, they go and do it. Um, so if you're thinking, actually, I, actually, I could do that, well, come and talk to me afterwards um, or talk to Charlie Curry at the back there or Peter Lever here as well. Come and grab us and we'll take your details and add you to that. But more generally... I'd urge you to really get stuck into the life of the church. Really get stuck into a home group. And let others get involved in your life too. That doesn't mean lots of extra meetings and loads more time and, and that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things we at CCC are really keen on is that we don't want to be a program-driven church. We want to build discipleship and mission into the rhythms of our everyday lives together. So that means we just try and be a bit more intentional about involving other people in the everyday stuff that we're already doing. So hopefully there's a, some ideas for you to be, be thinking on there. To finish up, I want to come back to that link that you've saved in your head from earlier. That link, that vital link between this kind of love flowing from our devotion to Christ. Because the truth is, we can't manufacture this kind of love by ourselves. Um, it's a supernatural gift of, of grace that he who began a good work in us brings to completion in us. And I want to say to us that, that Jesus is far more than our example. He's our saviour. He's our rescuer. And it's only by first recognising that, coming to him, turning to him for forgiveness, for a new heart, that he can produce this kind of love in us. 
John Stott has a great illustration of Christians being like light bulbs. A light bulb with no current running through it is not really much good to anyone. But a light bulb that's switched on, that has the current coming through it, can light up a room. And that's exactly what's, what's going on here. If we're going to be a community shining like stars in a crooked and depraved world, we need that current of God's grace and his power surging through us, overflowing from us, overspilling out in us to help us to shine for his glory. So for some of us here, that means the first step is to spend some quality time with Jesus. Now, the New Testament tells us that, that as Christians, we are united to Christ when we become Christians. Our identity is profoundly and decisively changed when we become Christians. We're declared not guilty, forgiven. We're adopted as children. Our union with Christ is one thing. And nothing can ever detract away from that. But from time to time, our communion with Jesus, our our daily walk with him, can feel strained and cold and maybe a bit distant. And probably not really that daily either. Well, that doesn't change the decisive union that we have with him. Paul says in Colossians, Christian, your life is hid with Christ. But if that's us, we need to get back into the rhythms of a regular communion with him. And there's no secret silver bullet here to make that happen. It's just spending time considering Jesus, looking to the cross, meditating on his words, praying with other people, reading good books, listening to to worship music, or helpful stuff like that. And my experience is that it may take some effort and some hard work at first, but that in time, your heart will catch up and the spirit um, will we'll, uh, we'll help you out. Now, one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament is, is at the start of this book. Um, just turn over with me to chapter 1, verse 6. Part of Paul's prayer. He says, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's massively encouraging. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty terrible when it comes to DIY. Maybe as anybody who's been into our bathroom and tried to use the hot tap recently will, 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 will realise. But our great Father in heaven, he's not a budget DIY, fix it with a bit of gaffer tape kind of a God. He's a master craftsman, painstakingly, 
sculpting you bit by bit into the masterpiece that he's going to turn you into. From time to time, we get glimpses of just how much work he's got to do on us. But be encouraged by this great promise, this great verse. We can be confident that he'll finish what he started. Let's pray before we uh, sing again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we want to thank you so much for our Saviour. We thank you that he has bought us forgiveness and a new identity, a new hope with his own blood shed for us. Would you stir our affections for him? Would you Increase our devotion to him by your spirit. And would you help us to live like him and to love like him. Help us to, to shine like stars for your glory in this place. Amen.